sounds super dramatic, but it did kind of change my life because in a way I didn't have any sort of focus. I didn't know any of that. And then afterwards I was like, whoa, I know how I'm going to do this. Welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle podcast series, a series that is so much more than just a podcast series. This is a movement towards freedom in life and in work and about taking a lifestyle you know you deserve. I'm your host, Sam, and I have always admired working where you want, when you want, and how you want. Just like my guests, I found my version of the freedom lifestyle and I'm sharing all the secrets for how you can too. The freedom lifestyle looks different for everyone. What's your free? You're listening to episode 29, How to Freelance Your Freedom. A year or so ago, when I decided to fund my own freedom through freelance, I was all starry-eyed about the benefits and this ideal lifestyle that I knew could come with it. A year later, I still feel that way, and I am definitely pro-freelance as a lifestyle. Through many discussions, though, articles I've read, and events I've attended, I've learned that there's a whole other side of freelance. Perhaps a dark side, if you will, where people are forced into freelance because they've lost their job or immigrated to a country where their credentials weren't recognized. There's also a ton of people who feel strongly that the future of work and this freelance lifestyle is going to be quite detrimental, reducing employment standards and forcing people to work below minimum wage with no safety net. I hear that. I'm woke to these issues and I'm here to support anybody struggling with this lifestyle Seriously, I'm always there to chat with anybody. With that said, I stand firm that I am pro-freelance and its ability to create lifestyles that can lead to true happiness for those who pursue them and, frankly, create a ton of ripple benefits for people who are in the lives of those freelancers. If you've taken the leap to freelance, perhaps you're starting small with taking some gigs on the side, or maybe you've gone all in on client work. I respect you. I respect your desire to reap these benefits and the sacrifices that you've made to get here. I think this episode will really resonate with the work you've put in, and you'll hear from other freelancers about how they're scaling their services, something I'm sure you're thinking about too. If you're still in your work grind though and you haven't made the leap to freelance, but you are curious AF, this episode is a goodie. We are demystifying it for you, including how to get clients, brand yourself, create a pricing strategy, best practices for turning down the wrong work, and how to find ideal clients. There's also some great stories in here about incredible women, two incredible women actually, who took the leap not too long ago, proving that it doesn't take much time to get into the swing of freelance and frankly, for it to completely change your life. I am always here for you. As I said, let's go deeper. I'm just an email away. Ping me, sam at whatsyourfree.com or DM me on Instagram. First up, we have Katie, the copywriter who helps entrepreneurs and freelancers get more leads, more sales, and more money by showing them how to write awesome sales copy that actually sounds like you. Katie's journey to freedom through freelance is super interesting as it all started when she moved across the globe to Toronto for her partner's work. Not wanting to go all in into a new full-time job, Katie began freelancing on the side to get by. Hear how she approached launching a freelance career in a city where she knew no one. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. 
Hello, Sam. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I know. I'm so excited too, especially that we're making this happen in December, which can be such a busy time for anybody, regardless of how they work. So thank you for fitting this in. I'm really looking forward to it. No worries. And yeah, I totally feel you. December is absolutely crazy, but it's actually one of my favorite times of year. Um, so so yeah, I'm, I'm super chuffed to be talking to you. Uh, even if it is in December. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's one of my favorite times of year as well. And in prepping for this convo, I got really excited because you and I are fairly new friends. And so I don't know a ton about your story. I do know that you're fairly new to Canada, if the accent didn't already give it away. So I'm looking into digging into that and learning more about you and on that note, why don't we start with just, you know, where you were before moving to Toronto, maybe how long ago that was and what kind of work you were doing there. Yeah, totally. So I was living in Bristol, which is a lovely old town in the southwest of the UK. And um, for all intents and purposes, I was living the dream. I had a fantastic job for a wonderful company uh, doing marketing for a chain of ethical cafes. Everything looked brilliant from the outside. It was pretty good on the inside. But then my, my partner was offered an opportunity in Toronto um, as in a, in a neuroscience lab at the university. And yeah, I just thought, well, if we don't like it, we can go home. Let's give it a go. <laughs> so I arrived in Toronto in March. And to be honest, there wasn't really a big master plan in place by any means. I was super burnt out from the stress of moving. Um, work actually ended up asking me to stay on an extra month. So I was working a full-time job and side gigging right up until 48 hours before I got on the flight to Canada. Um, wow. So, so yeah, when I got here, I kind of just curled up in a ball and hibernated for a few weeks. And then one day I just kind of unfurled myself, jumped onto Eventbrite and booked to go to a couple of networking events. And, and yeah, I just, I just decided to start meeting people because before we came here, I, I just knew my partner and, and that was it. All I knew was that I needed to get out there and meet some people and that something would happen. <laughs> I'd love to say that I had this big plan, but I really didn't. Like when we first knew that um, my partner had, had secured his job, I did start looking at, at full-time roles, but to be honest, none of them really set my world on fire. And I think in the end, I came to the realization that to commit to a full-time role in a in a community where I didn't know anyone probably felt like a bigger risk to me than taking gig work an office environment can be so consuming and and yeah it just kind of felt like a bigger risk really to commit to being part of a community that I didn't know anything about but yeah it just once I started meeting people and saying about what my skills were and they were like oh I need that skill and it it literally just developed from there and I accidentally became a freelancer. I love that perspective of it actually felt 
riskier to just sign up for a full-time job with so many unknowns in terms of everything from is the office located in an area of Toronto where I want to hang out in to, you know, what is the team like? What is the company culture like? All of those things are so hard to do even when you live in the city and you can do the proper recruitment process, but from afar, it can be so much more challenging and then you know, you're kind of stuck, especially if you're someone who says, okay, you know, I, I need a, one year at the company for it to be respectable for us to leave. My next question for you is, is the plan-ish still to feel it out and, and go work full-time for someone or are you kind of thriving in this new freelance lifestyle? No, I'm loving it. Um, I'm not going back to to having a boss. <laughs> Hell yes. Um, no, seriously, I'm, I'm loving it. And um what what's been incredible is that by choosing to work gigs rather than a full-time situation i have met more people than i probably know in my hometown um <laughs> since march you know um i've met so many people i've picked up um you know by being open i've picked up clients in the states um and in europe and obviously in canada and it's just really opened my it's opened my eyes to what it's possible for me to achieve i think you know i have perhaps had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak in embedded in me um my mum's been an entrepreneur her entire life so i'm i'm hooked <laughs> i'm hooked good for you and I think that, you know, for you, it sounded like it happened very organically and dare I say almost a little bit even effortlessly, in, at least in the way it's sounding. But I know that's not the case. I know you did work. I've been on your website. It is it is the best website I've seen for a freelancer. I got to give you credit on that. Everyone should go check it out. Everything Thank from you. the copy, which I guess makes sense given your skill set. But the verbiage, I felt you it was so clear in terms of there's no – you even put your pricing on some things, which I find is very rare to see a lot of people want to get on the call and make something custom and do you remember the story of your first client here in Toronto <laughs> how you got them and you know was it just from that first event did you score on that first night I do you know what I remember my meeting my first client absolutely crystal clear it wasn't at my first event but it was at my second event so I met my first client at an event in Toronto um it's called fuck up nights and mm, I've been yeah you've been awesome well you'll know them but just to briefly explain it's a it's a place where folks can share and celebrate their business and personal failures um so maybe it's not your typical place to go and find work but I just figured it would be fun and that I would probably meet some cool people there anyway so they had three speakers and at the end of the presentations there was an opportunity to go up and do a 10 second pitch so I just took a deep breath and uh, decided to go up and I was literally shaking and sweating and like, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, but I managed to sort of blurt out a semi-coherent pitch, uh, just saying that if any entrepreneurs in the room wanted their website copy to start working as hard as they do, then to come and find me. Um, and then I ended up meeting my first client who signed me on for three months um, to help them get their Kickstarter campaign ready. And yeah, I ended up 
writing everything for them from their video script to their website copy to their email series, their press release. And, you know, it got amazing results. They raised 90K and got coverage in Team Vogue and Bustle and Vice. And then kind of once once I sort of could prove that I could get results, it then became much easier to approach um, other folks to work with. An event where you didn't even know anybody and then you did the 10 second pitch, like that's, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of ability to put yourself out there. Do you think that's what it takes to be successful as a freelancer? Do you need to, you know, be really brave and put yourself out there? Yeah, I think, I think you do, honestly, um, because the, the reality is that no one is gonna just come like knocking on your door and be like, oh, hi, I would like to work with you. Um, and I was acutely aware of that when I got to Toronto because as I said, I literally knew no one apart from my partner. And if it was gonna work, I was gonna have to take action, right? And and yeah, I, I guess um, it's totally normal to feel fear of rejection. And, and I definitely did feel that it is, it is really hard to, especially at the beginning, um, when you're not feeling as confident um, to say, you know, put yourself out there and, and put yourself in a position where people are going to go, no, I don't need that. Or, um, you know, not return your emails or not return your calls or not turn up to a meeting or, say they're going to do something and not you kind of have to just mentally prepare for that I guess it's kind of like dating a little it, bit do you know like... what it so is and I like yeah a hundred percent I agree with you it is like dating and even to the point where you do scope people out online a bit um before you meet with them <laughs> do a little bit of low-key stalking you know and and figure out what they're interested in so that you can bring it up in your conversation it is um it's really important that I do have a connection with that person and that we're on the same page like values wise and communication wise and yeah it is a case of trial and error I think certainly early on you have to be prepared for the fact that sometimes you're going to work with people and you're not going to click and and that's okay it's not it's it's not you being a bad freelancer it's not them being a bad client it just takes a while to figure out what's a good fit for you I wish that I'd known that ahead of time because there definitely have been part you know parts of this year where I have felt demotivated because um because you know perhaps I didn't properly feel out the relationship um but then on on the flip side when you do meet a dream client and you're totally on the same page and you get each other and you're bouncing off each other it's it's a thrill it's a thrill it's such a high and and I I wouldn't change it I wouldn't change it for anything I love that you are talking about dream clients and having to say no to things and don't be too hard on yourself on you know regrets of at the beginning, I learned that the hard way because I think everyone's had that. I've had that. When you're just starting out, there's such a temptation to just say yes to anything you can get. And, you know, in the beginning, maybe that's not even that bad of a strategy, right? Maybe you're willing to learn and you're willing to give yourself a couple months of making mistakes. And I've always been someone who's, I learned through trial and error, which is different from other people who might learn from, you know, research and reflection prior to taking action. I take action quick and sometimes it bites me. And sometimes, like you said, it's completely magic. And so I guess my next question for you is what are some of the characteristics of a dream client for you? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it's quite a, it's a hard thing to pin down because so much of it mm-hmm. is just like a gut feeling and an intuition. Totally. Like, do you know, do you connect with this person? Do you get each other? But in terms of a dream client for me, um, I mean, I kind of, I offer my services to uh, women and non-binary and trans folks. And like, obviously that's a super, super broad niche, um, but I do have like a full code of ethics um, on my website, which I now get clients to agree to before we work together. And that for me, sort of gauging their reaction when I go, hey, and here's my uh, code of ethical copywriting, gauging their reaction to that gives me the answer straight away of, of whether we're gonna be a good fit to work, uh, work together. Let's talk about that decision to offer your services to more of a niche slash broad customer base. Because I did notice that on your website that it does explicitly say, you know, your sweet spot is working with women and non-binary folks. So can we talk a little bit more about how you came to that decision and ultimately what the reaction has been from, I guess, the feedback you've received about it? Here's the thing. Um, Most of the world has been designed by straight, white, able-bodied men with straight, white, able-bodied men in mind, okay? And in business, I think that's really significant, and especially in small business. Um, You know, for example, female freelancers are more likely to undercharge than male freelancers, and they're also less likely to get hired than a guy. Um, That was in an article in Forbes over the summer. And, you know, as I say, like what I really help people with through the medium of copywriting is helping small businesses to sell their product or service and feeling really confident about doing that. And the reason for putting women, non-binary and trans folks first for me is that unlike men, we're often told that we shouldn't be forward, we shouldn't put ourselves out there, and we might be made to feel um, a bit more challenged by the idea of selling. So so yeah, I, I just want to spend my time and energy helping folks who perhaps do find it more difficult to see their own value. Small business owners, they're, they're my target market. And and I know from from talking to them at my co-working space that women small business owners are again more likely to undercharge or or feel obligated to move on price. And yeah, like the the gender pay gap doesn't just apply to big corporates. Um, it it's everywhere. It's infused in society. And you know, if I if I can help a very uh, small number of women entrepreneurs feel really good about charging their worth, whether it's for their product or their services or their events or the experiences they create, then then that feels good for me. That's awesome. I've definitely experienced that firsthand in terms of me and my partner, who's a male, who he became a freelancer, I think four months after I did. And when I started, I set an hourly rate because that's how I approached it. And I want to ask you about pricing next, Mm. but I set an hourly rate that I felt comfortable with. I felt comfortable saying that number and thinking that was what my time was worth. I didn't want to be too greedy. I wanted to be fair and I wanted the job and I didn't want to abuse resources. I wanted the company to be successful. Again, I'm targeting startups. So I wanted them to be lean and my boyfriend four months later becomes a freelancer and he literally doubled my hourly rate for his first pitch. And that was what he decided he was worth and he got the job. And 
that was a whole series of emotions I felt after that. Some, you know, even a little reactive angry towards yeah, him. Yeah. Then normal. I realized that that was just me. That's, that's, it's not his fault. So knowing that we're more likely to undercharge, how should someone, woman or man, non-binary, how should they think about pricing themselves? Yeah, I, that's a really good question. And it's, it is, like you say, it's so difficult to settle on a price because there's so much more than just looking at numbers on a page. There's all kinds of stuff tied in there, right? You've got things like guilt and fear start to surface when you surface, when you put a price on your hourly rate, you kind of, you know, what is your worth as a, as a person, as an hourly rate? Like, it's really hard to jump into that and, and, and question that. Um, and it's super uncomfortable. For me, I did exactly the same. At the beginning, I, I priced myself way too low. My, and again, you know, I set an hourly rate and I kind of had all these excuses in my head. Oh, well, no one knows me here. And oh, well, you know, I just need to get my first gig and then I can charge more. I need to prove myself first. And what I failed to recognize when I was telling myself those things was that I'd already proven myself. I had an eight year marketing career in my back pocket and I was super successful. I'd delivered results for all of my employers and I had demonstrated a really wide breadth of skills. And yet, as soon as it's you in the driving seat, having to put a number on your own time, all of, yeah, that kind of fear and anxiety about, am I worth that? Um, it rises to the top and it's quite, it's definitely a process that I've had to work through and that you have to work through. So, so my, I guess my advice to anyone starting out in freelancing or, or working out how to price themselves, first of all, would be to work with someone. And, you know, I know that starting out at anything, you always have to be scrappy and you want to save money, but I would a hundred percent recommend sitting down with a business coach or, you know, maybe even just someone who's been in the game longer than you butter them up, slide into their DMs and, and ask to take them for coffee. You don't have to take on the responsibility of, of figuring that all out on your own. Secondly, and I think it was really interesting that you brought it up, that doing an hourly rate is a blessing and a curse. Okay, like it can, it can be brilliant to have an hourly rate, particularly if you have a client who is quite high maintenance, or likes to check in with you regularly, then an hourly rate can definitely work. But the one thing that has really helped me transform my pricing, since I first said it in April, um, has been by creating packages, having had a few months in, in the game and having um, really got an understanding of what it is that my clients want. What I've gone on to do is create a series of signature packages, which I have a process for behind the scenes and are efficient on my time, but deliver big value and more importantly, deliver big value on a tight timeline, because especially when you're a freelancer, everyone wants your work done like yesterday, you know, but putting my rates up has definitely been more than a monetary benefit for me. I now get better referrals because they're coming from quality sources and clients who understand what value looks like. I get fewer uh, red flag clients. Um, and, and yeah, also when people show up to work together, 
they're more invested in in the process um, because they have done exactly that. They've invested in the process. So yeah, I would I would definitely urge freelancers who are just starting out to to reach out, like reach out to me if you want. Have you ever said no to work? I have said no to work. How do you feel after that? Because I think for me, that has also been something that a lot of freelancers have asked me about where they didn't really want to do it and then they said no and then they wondered, you know, am I ever going to get another gig again? And is this like putting bad vibes out there? Like talk to us a little bit about the power of saying no. Depending on what kind of person you are, saying no can be really challenging at the best of times. It can be challenging to say no to your mom or to your sister or to your best friend or to your partner. Um, so, so saying no to someone when there's um, the possibility of money exchanging hands can be a whole lot harder. And I think, I think for me, having, having my like code of, of ethics and values is really, really, really helpful. Um, and then, you know, and if something is kind of struggling to fall in line with that, it feels really helpful for me to be able to refer to something that isn't uh, me. So it's like, oh, well, you know, it's not, it's not me turning down this project. It's because it's not a fit with my code of ethics. And that is a much easier phrase to to come out with rather than like, no, I don't, I don't want to do it, <laughs> which can feel a bit, I don't want yeah, to, I don't want to work with you. Yeah, a bit combative, right? <laughs> and you know, you, yeah, like and you personal. also just want to, even if you are turning things down, you want to be respectful, um, but also be transparent as well. Um, I've, I know that I'm, I'm not everyone's cup of tea and that I'm not going to see eye to eye with everyone that's just not realistic um but I can certainly be respectful I, I think like having an understanding of, of why you're saying no to things and not being afraid to be transparent because I think people will res- will respect you for being transparent with them you might be concerned to say no to something because well what if nothing else comes along and I've you know, done some personal development in the last few months to to challenge that belief by using mindset. And, and I think that that is definitely coming from a place of like a scarcity mindset. And once you make that shift into believing that the the world is an abundant place and that there are always more opportunities just around the corner and that if something doesn't feel like a fit then it's because there's something better coming along and I think kind of when you when you shift your your mindset to that way of thinking you'll be able to see more opportunities as well because you're not so focused on trying to force this this gig that doesn't quite fit with you you're trying to force it to mold to what you want it to be and and actually just let it go there's definitely going to be something better just around the corner so long as you keep your eyes peeled I love that you said that and you talked about abundance mindset because I think scarcity mindset is so common with freelance and with gig work because it's so unpredictable it's so unstable there's the roller coaster it's so hard to predict when something's coming so that's really great words of wisdom i know we're coming to our our time together and i want to be mindful of that because i also know how valuable (laughs) freelancers times are so how do you think about scale as a freelancer it sounds like you've done some really smart things with packaging your services any other words of wisdom on scaling and you know making more with less which i think is a lot of our goals as we think about the new year i would definitely um 
start asking questions about what can you do that isn't tied to an hourly rate? What can people pay you for whilst you're sleeping? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, do you have do you have some passive yeah, income? Exactly, right? passive income. Um, you know, do you have some products that you could create that are complementary? So, for example, let's say you're a graphic designer. Could you um, could you create some beautiful phone backgrounds every month that people could download um, for like 10 bucks? Like you start, you know, you might do those for yourself anyway. If you get 10 downloads a week, that's an extra $400 that you've made that month without very much effort, right? So yeah, what what could you do that isn't tied to an hourly rate? That would be, that's my number one question for freelancers to ask themselves for 2019. My last question for you is, how do you define freedom lifestyle? What does that mean to you in this movement that I'm trying to define, but also let everyone define it for themselves because it's different for everyone. And that's why it's called What's Your Free? So Katie, what's yours? Yeah. And I love that you sort of leave it up to everyone to define that for themselves. Um, I think it's like a really smart way to help people relate back to to this movement that you're creating. Um, And to me... Freedom lifestyle is more than just being able to have my laptop on a beach somewhere. I mean, that part sounds lovely. But to me, it's about the freedom to be myself. And if something doesn't align with my values, I can say no to it. And I have the freedom to work with who I want and to prioritize people who sometimes are marginalized by mainstream entrepreneur culture. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Katie. We really appreciate you making time. We're a few minutes over, so I'm going to let you go on with your amazing day and let's continue to stay in touch. I'll make sure everyone can find you very easily. That code of ethics, I know that's my homework following this call is to read that. I think that's a very interesting approach. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Sam. Have a great afternoon. Next up, we have Jasmine Williams, who has professionally branded herself as a social media and content consultant. Jasmine helps brands find their voice and has various packages available, including blog in a box, which I love. This is where she can help brands launch a content marketing series that she'll completely manage for them. Jasmine and I got to work together professionally earlier this year when Jared and I hired her to help us finalize the LDR activity book we created. She was fabulous and definitely knows her stuff. Let's hear what she had to say. Jasmine, welcome to the Freedom Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so glad we were able to do this, especially because we originally connected over the Freedom Lifestyle and I've gotten to watch you go from, you know, turning your job into a freelance career and you watch me turn like a couple podcast episodes into multiple seasons. So I'm really proud of both of us. Yeah, yeah, we've kind of been on this journey together. It's been really neat. Amazing. And for those listening who maybe don't know about your journey, why don't we start off by telling them a little bit about what kind of work you were doing before and how related that is to the freelance offering and services you have now. Before I went full-time freelance, I was working in social media and content marketing at a nonprofit. And before that, I'd held very similar roles at other different organizations. Uh, So it was kind of at my last 
job and at the last organization, it was very focused on entrepreneurship. So as I was doing content marketing and writing all these profiles on these really awesome entrepreneurs, it was really kind of getting under my skin. Like I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur just like them. So then I started doing a bit of research. I was fortunate to connect with some people who are also doing content marketing full time. And from there, I kind of put the ball into motion and started uh, creating, updating my website, creating a social media all around freelance content marketing services. And, you know, fast forward to today and that's what I'm doing. So you were doing freelance work on the side while you had your nine to five, right? Yes. Yes. I've been doing freelance writing for seven years now. So that was something I'd always done and was pretty familiar with, but it was always something, it was more like a gig. Uh, It was just something that I do to kind of have a little extra grocery money here and there. It was never something I really thought I could do full time um, until I started really doing more research into setting up a business. And did you ever run into any issues with your employers, with them not wanting you to work on the side? I've, I've had a few friends that have mentioned that to me, that in their employment contract, they weren't allowed to make any additional money. Did you encounter that at all? I didn't really encounter that. It wasn't like a conversation that really happened. It was just something I've always done. And I guess it was always pretty small scale. So I don't think any uh, employers really had a problem with it, but it was getting a little bit tricky the closer I got to going full time because I was taking on a lot of freelance assignments and then it was getting just harder and harder to manage. And I was feeling like I would work nine to five and then come home and work another few hours. And it was just getting really overwhelming. And I just started feeling, you know, like if I don't dive into this and really explore this a hundred percent, I will never really know how big this thing could be. And what is it about freelance that motivated you to quit your job and do it full time? Because if the work was similar, you know, scenario one, your work is giving you the work, you're not having to go do any biz dev, they're giving you a paycheck and you're still doing what you love. Now in this freelance life, like you're going to hunt for all of your business for the same type of work. So what is it that motivates you to pursue this? Yeah, for me, it was always, it was the freedom. (laughs) It was very much the idea of getting to work where I want, when I want, like the idea of working nine to five and then sitting in a cubicle for eight hours and then checking out was just, I found very soul crushing. Um, Like I had some jobs that were a bit more flexible compared to the job I had right before going freelance, but I always felt like there was just these little things that would bug me. Like I felt like I had to make up excuses if I wanted to go to do a workout class in the morning or maybe have a go meet a friend for lunch. And I always thought like, why does this matter if I'm getting my work done? Mm -hmm. Um, So it was something where I always really wanted that extra freedom. And I was kind of okay with putting in the extra work to be my own boss and taking on those extra responsibilities if it meant that I had more control over my life. Oh yeah, that I can completely resonate with that. I remember one of my old bosses, one of my first jobs, I there was a train track that I would have to cross on the way to the office, and there were some mornings where the train came and that would mean the difference of me being 5 minutes late or not, and mm-hmm. it was so so stressful. I would always get in trouble, and they would just say to me, "Well, you just should always plan to be at work early." It's like you – like I don't even want to be here. Like this whole system where I'm only getting paid during these hours and like this is the arbitrary number. It was so – like yeah, you nailed it with soul crushing. 
Yeah, yeah, it just, I felt very, like, it felt very infantilizing, you know, like, what does it matter if I'm five minutes early or five minutes late, or, you know, you get weird looks if you show up late, even if maybe you worked late the night before, like, that kind of idea of just working based on results versus, you know, the time time you spent with your butt in a chair, like, to me, that just didn't make any sense. Okay, so you were primarily motivated by the freedom, which is perfect for this podcast, of course. <laughs> When did you feel, is there something that happened where you suddenly got the confidence that, okay, this could be a career and this is something I can try to pursue full time? About a, a year ago, I connected with a girl on Facebook. We we're both in a funds, entrepreneurial and employment zone. Um, and somebody asked a question about pricing their services. And I saw that she answered and she just had this like really super simple formula and it was something I hadn't seen before. So like I immediately kind of messaged her being like, hey, can I ask you a few questions? Because I was like, this girl really knows what she's doing. And I kind of clicked on her profile and saw that she was a content consultant. And I was like, oh, that seems seems interesting. That seems like something I could maybe do. So, um, so then we were DMing back and forth. And then eventually we hopped on a phone call. And this is like 10 o'clock p.m. on a Thursday. And we we're just kind of going back and forth. And I was very open about, you know, where I was with my freelancing. I was like, I don't think I could ever do this full time. I'm getting paid like 40 bucks a blog post. Like this doesn't make any sense. And then she was very frank with me and she's like, well, this is how much I'm getting paid. And this is how much I make per month. And I was like, whoa. And we had very similar backgrounds. So I was like, okay, if she can do it, then I can definitely do it. So then just by talking to her and like learning a little bit about her approach to getting clients and pricing ourselves, like that call, like, sounds super dramatic, but it did kind of change my life because in a way I didn't have any sort of focus. I didn't know any of that. And then afterwards I was like, whoa, I know how I'm going to do this. So pretty much after that phone call, I was started to think about, okay, what kind of clients I wanted, you know, how I'm going to build my business. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Wow. What a cool conversation. And have you kept in touch with her? Does she kind of know that you're now full-time? Oh, yeah, we totally kept in touch. If anything, I consider kind of as a mentor, we like anytime I like I still have questions about pricing myself or how to handle myself in a negotiation. So I, I still DM her from time to time. I'm just like, hey, this is happening. Like, how would you approach it? And she always makes time for me, which I super appreciate. She sounds really awesome. Good for you. I think mentors in this type of work are so important because there's not really a clear right or wrong way to do a lot of this. That's the whole point. It's kind of on your own terms and you're calling all the shots, which comes with a lot of pressure because, okay, what shots do I want to call and what things can I negotiate and what's fair and you know what's going to be that sweet spot where I'm being paid enough for my work that I can scale this but it's also not so high that I'm not getting enough business. And yeah, that's, I'm still figuring that out too. Yeah. And I think it's an ongoing thing, but yeah, that's huge. Like, cause for a long time, I think especially coming, my background is in journalism. I went to journalism school and you come out of journalism school kind of scared about the outlook of the industry or you kind of get this feeling like you should be just grateful that anybody is willing to pay for writing at all. So I kind of had it in my head that like this wasn't something I could really do, like nobody could really charge enough. So it really took talking to somebody and seeing that they were clearly making it work because they had the financials to prove it to really give me that confidence to like to to go for it and, and charge what I charge now. 
And how are you finding your clients and building your business? You mentioned that you developed a website and I've been on it. It looks really great. I love how you have really thought through the different packages. I think blog in a box was one I saw. I thought that was like super smart and I could totally get it if I was a lean company and I know I want to do digital marketing. It's very much an a la carte kind of offering you have, which I thought was really smart. Mm -hmm. Is your website where you're getting business from? Is it your network? It's primarily through my network, but they, those, the, they, everything supports each other. So like the, my major marketing activities, I have social media, I blog, uh, and yeah, then I have my website. So I find a lot of people will find me either through my network, they might be referred to me or through some of the Facebook groups that I'm in. Some people will reach out to me and say, Hey, I saw, I saw your name and what search and such group. Uh, but then usually once they see my name then they check out my website and then that kind of helps reinforce the idea that like I am a professional and, you know, I have a certain way of going about things. And uh, yeah, then that's kind of usually where it starts. And then once I kind of get a better idea of what they want and what they're looking for, then we then we negotiate something from there. And you're in your first year of doing this full time, right? Even though you've yes. been doing freelance for it sounds like almost forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in my first year of doing this as a business. Um, but yeah, I've been doing yeah, I've been doing it on the side for a long time now. And when you think about even just this first year or so you've had, what kinds of things have you learned in terms of pricing yourself or the packages you've offer or the types of clients you're now seeking out? Maybe things that you learned the hard way because at the beginning you just wanted to make it work. So you said yes to stuff. And now, you know, thinking about a new year, you're looking to make some types of tweaks. Oh, Sam, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a while. I can edit this. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I, I joke a lot that I feel like I've done an MBA in like seven months with how much I've learned about business. But yeah, like in terms of like even the packages that you mentioned, like I'm definitely going to be tweaking those in the new year because I find uh, like the services that I offer on my website and kind of what people are coming to me for are different. Like I find a lot of people want a custom solution. So I think in the new year, that's something I'm going to kind of move more, put more in the forefront about how I really work closely to try and figure out what people's needs are and, you know, what, what content marketing solution makes sense for them. Um, pricing, that's been uh, a huge thing. Uh, like I've kind of slowly edged up my prices over the past few months. I think I finally landed at a, a price that I'm comfortable with, but I feel like, especially once you start negotiating with bigger clients or bigger agencies, then in a way, like pricing becomes a lot more complicated because then you start getting into the value of, of the service versus the, the time or hours spent on something. So it's a, it's a constant, constant learning process. And I'm always kind of keeping my eyes out and seeing what other freelancers are doing around me and kind of seeing how I can adapt what they're doing to my business. So it's, it's constantly changing and growing. <laughs> When you think about your talents and your skills, of course, your background in journalism and content marketing and writing are, of course, super applicable to freelance work. But what other natural strengths would you say that you have, maybe more on the individual side, less on the skill-based side, that really benefit you in your freelance lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I will say, I guess, like to toot my own horn a little bit, like I think I am pretty Yes, do it. 
<laughs> I think I am pretty self-motivated. I find like my friends always say like if I had to work from home every day, I would never get anything done. I'm like, well, if I didn't get anything done, I wouldn't have a business. So I think uh, I am kind of able to push myself a little bit more than the average person. Um, and I also have, like I'm really good at focusing. Like once I'm on, like I have my laptop open, I can almost like tune out the world. Um, so I find that really helps me stay on task. Um, also just certain things I think with running a business, like, like I remember even listening to earlier episodes of your own podcast where you said you had to kind of make some cutbacks and that's something where like, I've always lived pretty frugally, I'd say. So knowing that I had to kind of adjust my lifestyle a little bit at the beginning was something that I was prepared for. And I think I was pretty ready for it because I was already budgeting and already kind of knew what, what I needed to spend and, you know, what investments I needed to make in my business to make this work. Uh, so those sorts of things, I think I was able to adjust to faster than maybe somebody who's used to kind of like a cushier lifestyle and having things clearly mapped out for them. That's so true. What kind of sacrifices did you make from like a lifestyle experience that you didn't do anymore or pay for anymore? This is going to sound so nerdy, but, or just like not cool, but like <laughs> I had a TFSA for instance, and I kind of put a bit of a pause on um, saving for that because I knew like I needed to have money to maybe float me a little bit uh, for this business. Um, there were some like just, you know, dinners, maybe some trips that like I wanted to do, but I was like, okay, I definitely don't want to do that in the first six months. Like, I don't know if this will, if this will be a thing. So just certain kind of decisions where I was like, okay, if I want to do a trip, I'll maybe do two days. Like I won't do a full week because I like, I really don't want to take too much time away from this business while I'm still so much in the early stages. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an episode that I just came out with yesterday actually was all about kind of self-care and, and for that exact reason. I think that when you're starting out, we're so focused on trying to make it work that we just go all into our business and we kind of stop taking care of ourselves sometimes. What has that been like for you? Are there things that you've just always maintained because you know you need those things in your life to be the best you? Or have you had to really uh, work on that? It's something I do really have to work on and I'm continually working on it all the time. Um, like I know the things that I need to do to feel good. Like I need to, like I do bar workout classes. Like that's my way of getting exercise in. And that's what really makes me feel good. And I just do it for my health. Um, but that's also the kind of thing where it's like when I'm working or when I'm really on a deadline, like everything else kind of goes out the window. So that's something where I have to make sure that like making time to exercise or making time to cook dinner is like just as important as getting my work done. That is something I'm like have to tell myself and have to make sure that I'm budgeting time for all of that. Um, Cause that's something that I really struggled with and didn't really do this year. And I think has led me to feel a bit burned out to be honest. So it's something that like going forward, I need to be, you know, when you're your own boss, like you have to set your own boundaries. Um, nobody's going to set those for you. So I think I just need to be a bit stricter with myself and making sure I give myself that time to take care of myself because literally nobody else will. hundred yeah. percent. We talked about your natural strengths that have really teed you up to be successful in this freedom lifestyle, freelance as a career. What are the things that you've had to work on other than, you know, of course, boundaries and still taking care of yourself? 
Yeah, um, <laughs> pretty much anything not related to my skill set, I think. Uh, like, I think I'm pretty good at, at marketing and I'm good at writing, but all the financial stuff and the sales stuff has, is, it doesn't really come naturally to me. So that's been a huge thing. Like, yeah, even pricing myself and sticking to my prices, it's tough. And I've had to do a lot of Googling about like how to negotiate, how to, yeah, how to manage your finances, like how to track your finances properly. Um, fortunately, I love learning. So it's also been kind of fun trying to fill those, fill my own skills gaps in a way. Um, but yeah, that's been, that's been tough. <laughs> When you've been Googling about negotiating and you've encountered people trying to drill down your price or really make you come down, what are some things that you've learned that you've really tried to put into practice during those conversations? Well, now I have a much better idea of what my ideal client looks like um, from like a budget standpoint and goals and a lot of different things. So now when I'm kind of doing a discovery call with a client and trying to figure out if we're a good fit, I ask them a lot of questions and that really, how they answer those questions gives me a good idea of whether we'd be a good fit or not. Even like, even besides the financials, just like, you know, if they're not clear on their goals, if they're kind of wishy-washy with deadlines, then I know that it's probably not going to work. And then I would probably just walk away from that. Um, I think that's the, been the biggest thing. It's that like, I, you're not going to win every client. And I think in the beginning, I kind of literally went into every call being like, I'm, this is a new client. I'm going to get a new client. And now I'm a little bit more re realistic that not everybody I talk to is going to end up working with me. And it's just um, making sure that they have all those key things that I need to be happy and to work well with somebody. And if they don't, then we don't work together. That's it. And in terms of the service offering you have and your particular expertise, you're in a good position because you have a focus in terms of the services you offer. So everyone knows, okay, Jasmine is content marketing. She can do social strategy. She can do content creation. She can do writing. Like you very much associate your personal brand with that skill set. The next step that I sometimes see people do is they then focus on a particular industry. So they become the girl or the guy or the freelancer for content within the food industry or within, you know, social enterprise or retail. Have you ever considered niching? And if so, you know, what types of places or focuses would you want to work on? Yeah, well, I do. I do have a niche. It's just my niche is not necessarily my brand. So like in terms of the businesses I work with, I do tend to wor work towards or work with mainly more technical brands. So brands in like the advertising space or e-commerce. I've also like based on my background, I've done a lot of work uh, writing about HR and recruitment, which is kind of a weird niche, but it is kind of a, another sort of specialty I have. So those are the, the businesses that I tend to attract and also actively reach out to. I think going forward, like I don't necessarily see myself being like the go-to e-commerce writer or, or branding myself in that way, because I think like one thing I know about myself is I get bored so easily. And I feel like if I were to be tied to one niche, then I just feel like how I felt in a job where you're writing the same kind of content over and over and over again. 
Yeah, 100%. Keeping the variety and you get, especially because you said that you love to learn. I think that it's tempting to be an expert in one industry because then you just become, you learn everything and then you just pass on the same information that you've already learned once to multiple clients. But if you love learning, then it's probably exciting to get a client in a space that you know nothing about because you're like, oh, I got homework to do. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And it can be like a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Like if you're always working with clients in what particular niche, then your clients are probably competitors. And then you could kind of fall into an awkward, maybe conflict Mm, of interest situation. Um, So So yeah, I feel like it sometimes like, even though they say like, you know, it's not good to be a jack of all trades. I think it's good to have niches, but maybe not to have too focused of a niche that you cut yourself off from other opportunities. From the outsider's perspective, it seems like you're killing it and your personal brand is really on point and you're known for something and it's it's really inspiring. I'm trying to think about what I want to be known for and I've kind of just been, you know, that gig girl that says yes to a bunch of different things and it's so random and there's no theme. So I definitely am going to try to take a page or two from your books in 2019. What's what are you doing for 2019? How are you thinking about maybe your lifestyle? It sounds like you've made a lot of sacrifices this year to make it work. Are there things you want to do more of in your personal life next year? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing naturally. It's the end of the year, so I'm being very reflective. And I think a big thing for next year is just to have more fun. (laughs) It sounds a little bit sad, but I've just put so, so much into this business. And I think I've accomplished a lot in a very short amount of time. And I'm so, so excited and so proud of what I've done. And now I think, I think even just for the health of my business, I need to make sure that I'm adding more time in for me and doing things that I'm passionate about, even if they're maybe not really business related. Uh, So yeah, that's kind of going to be a big thing is like, how can I bring more balance? How can I bring more structure? And how can I bring more fun into my life? Amazing. Well, that sounds really exciting. And thank you so much for making time to kind of have this conversation with us and and share a lot about your experience. I think freelance is something a lot of people are interested in who might not want to be an entrepreneur in the traditional like build a product, sell it kind of space. So thanks for demystifying a little bit about that. Uh, This is going to be our first episode of 2019, which is really exciting. So you're kicking the year off with all of us. I hope you have an amazing holiday. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. This has been such a dream. I've been listening to your podcast this pretty much the whole time I've been freelancing and it's been a huge motivator for me. So this is super, super awesome to, to get to share what I've learned with your with your audience. That's it for episode 29. As you know, I have been recording this fully free now in Panama City, which is pretty cool. The first stop on a several months trip I am taking. I've never done something like this before, but it's always been my dream to take Freedom Lifestyle on the road. I think secretly I've always wanted to be like Taylor Swift or something and go on tour. And this is the closest thing I can make happen. So thank you for listening to me. I'm going to do my best to get another episode out in a couple weeks. And I'm really excited about who I'm going to meet on this journey and the different types of nomads and people who are funding their travel and funding their freedom and hope to just bring back a ton of value for you, my listeners. So thank you so much for the loyalty. Until next time, enjoy your freedom.